one of my coworkers is like, oh, your arms are so hairy. It's like, uh, but they were normal arms. It's like, I guess I'm wrong. Yeah, you're a little hairy. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Welcome to Very Unreasonable Things. This episode, it's me and Josh. We're going to be talking about Green Room. So, how are you, Josh? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's um, it's been a while since it's just been me and you. It feels like it. Yeah, uh, Daniel and I had some episodes where it was just us. You know, things had happened and you needed to have some time away. So, we did a couple episodes. Uh, we had some guest shots from Daniel's family. We had Mitchell on. No. Previously. It has been a minute since you and I have done an episode. But in our effort to supply quality content, here we are. Consistent content. Yeah. Maybe that's the word instead of quality, right? Yeah. So was the was the last episode that was just me and you, was that Repo Man versus Maximum Overdrive? Was that it? Maybe. I don't know. We've, I know we've made an effort to try to have Daniel on as much as possible, which altered our recording a little bit. But with us doing this project, we've been, I know we had talked about doing more movies. So it's not just us talking about Texas Chainsaw, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and Halloween for two years. Yeah. And also yeah. to put more content out there. So but here we, get, we are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I was just saying, and here we are. We're, you know, we're about to be talking about a, um, I would say, uh, a movie that took way too long for me to see. Now we don't have to get talking about it now. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I mean, I was this gonna, is, yeah. I was going to ask you about that too, but yeah, before we jump into the movie, um, anything you've been, Anything new come out or anything you've been doing that you feel like sharing? Well, I do want to give a plug on this um, new EP I was introduced to. It's um, it's a guy from Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and I, I've been listening to it pretty much on repeat today. And it's uh, Akeem Ali. And he's going as this, um, and it's, he's almost got this like, this alter ego called Kimmy Casanova and he's like this 70s pimp and it's just (laughs) these five songs and do not be surprised if this motherfucker blows up it is it's just five songs and and he's just talking about pimping and it's so good um but outside of that like uh just, I've been listening to a lot of Dolly Parton, um, and I finally got around to uh, watching The Sopranos. Holy shit, that's so embarrassing. 
but that's that's currently what I'm watching. I've um with the Sopranos, I've started and stopped multiple times. And by starting and stopping, I mean I've watched like one or two episodes and have to watch the same one or two episodes again. <laughs> yeah, I did see that the I saw the preview for the Mini Saints of New York or whatever it's called. Yeah, that looks like that might be interesting. So I'll probably check it out when it comes out. I'd um, been listening to recently a band called the Interrupters, which not new. I guess they've been around a few years. I just I didn't know about them. But they come from I guess that rancid tree of punk. They kind of have that rancid ska sound, and plus the fact that on their live album they mentioned that their friends would rancid. But as this female lead singer Amy Interrupter. There's some catchy songs. And you know, one thing about like that ska punk is it's really good to sing along with, you know, if you ever just like listen to it, like, I know you've listened to some rancid because what was the one you like Memphis, right? No, I liked, um, I think my favorite rancid. Oh, it was red hot moon. Red hot moon. Yeah. I I love it. Memphis was a good song. Yeah. But yeah, it's a catchy song that you can sing along to, right? And that's kind of like one of those trademarks of their sound. And the Interrupters have the same thing going on. They have a song called Kerosene that I really like. Um, Fight the Power. I think it was Fight the Power. And there was a there was another one that just escapes me now that I'm trying to think about it. But yeah, you know, might be worth checking out. And then as far as like TV, I, I got to start watching it again, but you had told me about it. And it just took me a while to get around to it. And that was Ted Lasso. Oh yeah. Cause you have a, you have a way of telling me about things that makes me not want to watch it. Cause you over, it seems I, like you overhype it. And then I'm just like, there's no way it can be as good as what Josh is saying. Fuck. I him. have that effect on a lot of people. It, my recommendations turned sour pretty quickly. Yeah. But you was right about Ted Lasso. That's mm-hmm. a good show. And I really enjoy it. Yeah, I watched it at a um, right when I needed to. I'll just I'll just say that because it's 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 so heartwarming. And yeah, it's just um, you know, it's nice to see a show that's stripped away of pretentiousness. Yeah, which I tend to lean towards, honestly. But it's nice, and yeah, it, it swept the Emmys, man. Well. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know what's on TV now. um, So I'm not sure. I did see, and maybe we talk about this at a later time too. I don't know if you've seen it, but they got a Chucky series coming out. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm in. By Don Mancini. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that intrigues me, right? I'm like, that sounds like that could be really interesting. But then I look at the station it's on. I'm like, it's on sci-fi. And one of the things with Chucky the Chucky movies was there was a lot of adult language in there. Mm. Do you get that on sci-fi? I know that these stations are more lenient when it comes to language now, but still I'm not certain. Like there's some shows that like my wife watches American horror story. And I think they're saying fuck on there now, which comes on FX, which is always sort of push that envelope. I know, and I know with Breaking Bad, you know, when they were on AMC, when it was in its original run, they were allowed to say fuck one time a year. Yeah. So I'm wondering now, maybe, like, because I don't actively watch a lot of TV, you know, maybe they've just gotten more lenient, so maybe we can't get that 
show that it needs to be in order for it to you be true to the but source it, material. But it does make you hesitant. Yeah. Because of that. And because if I it mean, was on HBO or, or Showtime or something like that, just one of the stations where you know they can do everything they need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, no, net, or streaming on any service outside of cable TV, you know? Exactly. You know, I, you know, it's been said plenty on this podcast. You know, I, I currently live in Sweden. Um, so I don't know what's going on when it comes to American TV outside of streaming. But I would have to assume that they have to be more lenient just to compete with Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max, um, Peacock. I don't know what Peacock does. I'm just saying, like, everybody has a streaming service. Yep. And I don't I don't even know who Safa is owned by. Um, Viacom? I don't know. I, it's this it's NBC, right? Isn't that Viacom owns NBC? Is that right? I think so. I, and the only reason I know this, I think, is because of the WWE, because the WWE network is on Peacock, which is on in Raw's on USA and ECW was on sci-fi at one point. Yeah. And every now and then they'll still show it. They'll do an episode on sci-fi if something's coming up and they need to be preempted or some shit. Hmm. Or maybe it was NXT that showed up on, uh, yeah, it was NXT that was on sci-fi recently because something was happening on Wednesday night. And I don't even watch it. I just fucking knew that it happened. But that's, I don't know. Speaking, you know what? Before we get into the movie, I do want to say this. I don't know. I know you and I, we used to watch a lot of wrestling and we used to keep up with it. And we still talk about it. Like we keep up with it in passing and every now and then we'll turn Mm -hmm. it on and watch it. But did you see the NXT rebranding? NXT (laughs) 2.0? I did. I I, I had tweeted about it, but to me, it looks like a fucking game show set. I'm waiting mm-hmm. for Drew Carey or Steve Harvey to come out, you know, to either like do the prices right or start the feud. Yeah, let's let's fucking go. 100 people said. You know, say what you will about Paul Levesque, Triple H, but once they took it away from him, they gave it to Bruce Pritchard and the other people. And after this rebranding, it's like, they totally missed the point of whatever was appealing to NXT. Yeah. And now you're just trying to make a Raw two SmackDown 2.0. I don't know. Have you, you seen know? pictures of the set? Have you seen pictures of it when it's like going? I I only saw I keep up with wrestling through Reddit and somebody showed a clip of Mandy Rose coming out. Yeah. With her new look. And it was just, it was so goddamn bright. Yeah. That was one thing I did like about the old NXT. I liked the black and gold and I liked the dark look and I liked the plexiglass with like the fucking chains or whatever, or the cage, Mm -hmm. like at the barricades to separate the audience. I don't know. That was something different. I mean, we've already got raw. We've already got SmackDown and already bright and, like I said, it just looks like a fucking game show. Like, if you want to do a studio wrestling program, then look at what Billy Corgan did with NWA Power. Because it, it kind of harkens back to that old 
WCW Worldwide or whatever it was that was in the studio. Yeah. Like, but I don't know. I'm not a fan of the rebranding. But anyways. No, it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm yeah. No, I was going to say, I mean, it's going to, it's going to die a thousand deaths. I don't, they're in They're, they're the base of their audience for NXT. They didn't want that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, but you know, that's what you have when you have a bunch of yes, men. Yep. You know? Um, yeah, that's, that's it on wrestling guys. That's, that's our two cents. (laughs) We're, We're not a wrestling podcast. We don't, we could talk about it, but we don't actively keep up with it. I'm sure that, you know, somebody would school us and correct us and I'm not here to get embarrassed. Enough of that happens in my life. Yeah. I don't, you know, wrestling's not a hill. I'm, at this point in my life that I'm willing to die. Yeah, it's not one of the hills to die on. No. Not anymore. You checked out after... Four, Josh. I was going to say, you checked out after Bret Bret Hart checked out, right? Pretty much. AEW's got the Owen Hart uh, tournament. I saw that. Beautiful. Um, No, but we are here to talk about Green Room. Gentlemen... I hope you appreciate the situation. Things have gone south. No doubt. Now, whatever you saw or did is no longer my concern. But let's be clear. It won't end well. So, 2015 directed, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, but it's Jeremy Saulnier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Released April 15th, 2021. That was a limited release. Then it had its wide release, May 13th, 2000. Did I say 21? Fuck. My bad. I'm sorry. Just cut that. Released April 15th, 2015, limited. Had its wide release May 13th, 2015. Um, had a $5 million budget, only made $3.8 million at the box office. Uh, I had, and when I was pulling up my facts for this, I'd never heard of the director. So, you know, obviously I just kind of looked to see what else he had done. And apparently he has another movie called Blue Ruin that I want to check out. Yeah, I did now. too after yeah, after reading about it cuz I looked at it. So it was a Kickstarter movie. I saw that and I saw where he's like he felt uncomfortable about using Kickstarter cuz he didn't want to have to have people like help pay for a movie that they weren't going to get any money off of, I guess, cuz it's not like mm-hmm. an investment, right? Um but it's got a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes, a 78 on Metacritic, and a 7.1 on IMDb. Yeah, so slightly higher than Green Room. Yeah. So I'm kind of uh, I'm curious. I want to check it out myself too. But yeah, Green Room, uh, 2015. I did, I myself didn't see it in theaters. I didn't see it until um, probably two years after it came out. 
not exactly sure. I, I know I streamed it. Um, or no, no. Uh, yeah, I streamed it off of, uh, I think, Netflix. I think it might have been on there or Hulu or something. But I finally watched it. And I think for you, you just recently saw it for this episode, right? Yeah. And even, and even like, let's just say you streamed it in 2017. Even then, like, this is, this movie just went under the radar for me. Mm-hmm. And then I started hearing rumblings like two years ago. And, and the buzz, like, almost unanimously positive about this movie. And I sort of knew the premise. Uh, but when I hit play, like, it wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, at all. Um, and th- th- this director, Jeremy Saulnier, he also, you know, props to him. He was, um, Maybe he was the lead director, maybe in all the episodes of uh, True Detective Season 3 as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that was later on. That was after Green Room. Yeah, this is like two years ago. And yeah. He was also in a punk band. That, ma- that tracks, yeah. And yeah. he, what I'd read was he made it a point. Like, he went, if music fans watched it or musicians watched it, he wanted it to be able to stand up to them picking it apart. So he actually brought in a musician to teach the actors how to play their parts. So when they were you know, filming the scenes where they were playing, they were actually doing the right thing instead of, you know, some people phone it in and they'll just, like, here's a power chord. Just put your hand in this position and look like. Are you talking about Michael J. Fox and back to the future? <laughs> I wasn't, but um, is that what he did? I mean, that, that's the most egregious example I can think of. Um, but yeah. And the movie was, it's an A24 movie. And I, and I didn't know that. And once it popped up, I'm like, okay. So we might be thinking the same thing then. I, I mentioned it because I'd saw, and I think it might have been Chris Cabin on like his one of his Letterboxd reviews about a new movie that just got, I think it was Green, the Green Knight or Green Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said it had that A twenty four look. And I'm like, wait, there's I was like, I gotta start paying attention to this. Like there's a look for these A twenty four productions. Well, I'm not as um, educated in movies as Chris Cabin. I don't know about the look, but I know that A twenty four has a they're what am I thinking of they're they have a level and this is not I'm just trying to describe it now they have a level of quality that most production companies don't have A24 movies might not always be good but they're going to be interesting Yeah, at the very least and they have quality control sorry but so once I saw that, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I felt rest assured that what I was going about to get into is going to be, at the very least, a movie that you can have dialogue about. Now I didn't realize 
how much dialogue you could have about this movie. So normally we would have, we would do a synopsis and Josh would have some witty things to say about the movie, but I think we can both agree that Green Room doesn't really lend itself to humor. Kind of the same way I think with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's, it's not a whole lot here where you can just be like, Hey, let me make a pun. It's a pretty brutal and uncomfortable movie. Right? Not a lot of jokes to be had. Yeah. Even even if you search pretty, you know, deep and far. like. So, I guess, um, we'll just, you can correct me if I remember this wrong. We'll just give a quick rundown of the movie. Um, Green Room starts off. It's, Hang on. Before, before you begin with this, I, I, I do want to say this, and we don't normally say this about a movie, but if you are listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, there is going to be spoilers ahead. And I, you know, um, heads up, like I encourage people who listen to this podcast to check out this movie. Um, so, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm giving away my hand. We encourage but, you to watch every movie we watch, whether we like it or not, just because you should have to suffer also. Yeah, but I feel like with some of the movies we talked about in the past, it's like, yeah, you can have – I wouldn't mind if you spoiled Shocker. Well, this is one of the newer Repo Man for me. This is one of the newer movies we've covered. Yeah, so I encourage people to – to watch it because we, like I said, we will be talking about watch it and then listen. To spoilers, us. yeah. Listen to us and then watch it. I don't care. Just Pause listen this. to us. More importantly, listen to us. Yeah, please. And tell your friends to listen to us. <laughs> somebody fucking needs to tell somebody. And your loved ones. And your children. I don't care. And your hated ones. Yeah. If if you don't like our podcast and you have somebody you dislike, tell them to listen to it. Hey. If you're listening to this, stop it and go knock on the door to your neighbor. Right? Tell them. Tweet about it. Social media. It's very unreasonable things. We have a webpage. Now that we've shamelessly plugged ourselves to every possible end. Yeah, definitely <laughs> should watch the movie. One. I agree. Um, but Green Room starts off It's following a punk band. I, I would say struggling, but it looks like it's uh, almost imposed struggling. But anyways, it's a band called Ain't Rights. They're going to play a show. They're going to do an interview with the local journalist. And they're supposed to be doing, I guess, a radio interview and then a magazine piece. They're supposed to play a show, but dude's credentials fell through, whatever. The show got canceled, so he sets them up with a gig at a restaurant. They make like six bucks. He's like, well, hey, there's this place you can play and you'll get like $350. And they're like, all right, let's do it. They go out. And they're in the Pacific Northwest, but they go out to this bar or club in the woods. Turns out that it's a neo-Nazi alt-right or not white supremacist club. But they knew that going into it, too. Though. Yeah, they were told that it was like skinheads there. And they're like, well, there's some of those in every show. They go, they purposely play a song to piss them off. 
But then they keep on playing their songs, and the crowd, I guess, warms up to them and quits throwing shit at them. They're getting ready to leave. They get their money. Um, the girl, the guitar player, her cell phone's in the green room. Uh, Anton Yelchin's character goes back to get it, witnesses, not doesn't witness a murder, just sees a dead body with a knife stuck in her head. And then the shit hits the fan. Um, and then you have a lot of, like, well-crafted scenes and brutality that was it's really uncomfortable to watch it when this movie gets graphic it gets fucking graphic and and then you know um after many deaths you were left with two people sitting on the side of the road which we assume we're waiting for the cops to show up and you know but anyways let's talk about it so we, we talked about the director but the movie stars anton yelchin he plays Pat, the bass player for the Ain't Rights. Uh, Joe Cole plays Reese, the drummer. Callum Turner plays Tiger, the singer. Leah uh, Shawcat. Shawcat, yeah. I could read my writing. I'm sorry. Sam plays Sam, the guitar player. And Leah Shawcat, what's she from, Josh? Oh, come on now. She's maybe. Maybe. Arrested Development. Maybe. If you haven't watched Arrested Development, quit wasting your life. Go watch it. Great show. <laughs> um, Imogen Poots plays Amber. And then Patrick Stewart in a role that's so far outside what you expect fucking Patrick Stewart to do plays Darcy, the owner of the club. Like, yeah, Patrick Stewart's always fucking regal. And in this movie, man, dude, he's cold. Matt, you know, we'll eventually get to his character, but, you know, I, I guess because I was going into this movie with such a blank slate and I'd kind of forgotten that it was about a a band being trapped in a green room. Like, I was so confused at the beginning. Like, my notes literally say, are they in a band? Like... I mean, first off, they are very calm about waking up in a fucking cornfield mm-hmm. and no one woke up. And I was like, oh, this is just, and then they go siphon gas. And finally you, you find out they're like this struggling punk band. Where were they from? Uh, Arlington. 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 And, you know, the movie sort of. But I think that's Arlington, like. DC Washington, area. D.C. area, not Arlington, yeah. Texas. No, 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 no. I mean, make sure. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and the struggling part, though, that seems like that's almost like a, a self-inflicted struggling band because when they do the interview, the guy's like, you're hard to find. You have no social media presence, which mm-hmm. plays into, like, it's not very explicitly said, but you, it's something to think about when the shit hits the fans. Like, well, these guys have no presence. Patrick Stewart and him don't know it, but if they go missing, nobody's going to fucking know. Yeah, I know. But yeah, so they, sh- also, they sh- struggle because they purposely don't put themselves out there. It also feels like a rite of passage, kind of, with that genre of punk. Yeah. You know? Well, Anton Yeltsin's character, uh, Pat was talking about it, you know, when he was saying it's like a feeling or a texture. 
you know, yeah. that you get from the live music that you're not going to capture under like digital platforms. And, but you do. And when they asked the question about the um, desert Island bands and they're all, you can tell they're all trying to have like their answer, like, so they can still seem like hard. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Misfits or, you know, like a premeditated answer. Like, yeah. And this is my yeah. band. And this is my band. And then later on, they, they, you see them change up. And when I was like, Simon and Garfunkel, that's my Prince. band. Prince. Yeah. And you know, it's, I don't know. The, it, it was kind of sad watching this movie as well, because like knowing what happens to Anton Yelkin and his life, you know, and just the potential he had. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. It was very sad. Like, because he's everyone in this movie is so fucking good. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody brings their A game to this. And, you know, obviously he's the lead, he's the one you follow. Um, so you're more. I wouldn't say invested in him, but you know, you know, who's probably making it out alive, but there was a point in this movie. Oh yeah. Where I'm like, well, maybe not. Oh yeah. They, it, it, it's almost a, seems like it's going to be a Drew Barrymore and scream situation to where you, this guy that you know, who's more well known than, the exception of Patrick Stewart, he's a more well-known actor, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh shit, he's fucking done. And it's like, who's going to be our focal point here? Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the plot of the movie, I mean, it's not just, it's not super complicated. You know, some people make movies and it's like, how can we outsmart the audience? How can we, you know, some uh subvert expectations or whatever you know like all these different things like how can we christopher do it nolan yeah how can we do things that they're not expecting well christopher nolan for the most part does it well I, you know i think we all know who's who started off big and then kind of struggled with it because it became almost yeah, a cliche in every movie yeah wow. twist but green room's not that movie green room's very straightforward it's like here's a group of people that were in the wrong place at the wrong time and they can't leave. And here, here's the thing. When I went into this movie, um, I thought, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, kind of difficult to talk about it. But like, I figured like everybody in this bar, like my expectations was like they get into the bar, they play their song. Then they, everybody in the bar just wants to kill them because they're yeah. Nazis. But it's not that. Like these people could have got paid and left. Yeah. If if San uh, what's Anton Yelkin's character's name? Pat. Pat. If Pat. If if Sam didn't forget her phone and he didn't go back in there, then nothing would have happened. Exactly. You know, they could have just got paid and went on their way. way. Exactly. And when shit hits the fan in this movie. Like, it's not like, okay, we're fucked. 
uh, the tension is at 10. Yeah. It's we're we're confused. The tension is at five and then it just goes up and up and up. The the movie itself, uh, one of the things I liked about it, and you know, we've talked about this with other movies, is some movies are longer than they need to be. This movie comes in at 95 minutes and it's, you know, Oh, it flies by, man. Yeah. It's 95 well-spent minutes. Oh, it is. It, and you don't starts humming. You don't get to like, things don't go South. I think until like minute 43. And then even then when like stuff starts happening, it's like one thing happens and then there's still like this period before it happens again. The movie does a really good job, and I don't know why we're dancing around it. I mean, we can just talk about it. So after they they play the show, you know, and there there's this one thing too, and you can tell that the director's like, you know, he was a musician because there's that one scene when they're on stage and they're playing, and everything's just like once the the Nazi punks in the crowd are starting to get into the music, and everybody's kind of bobbing their head. And the bands on stage playing their songs after they insulted the crowd too. Like, yeah, they kept it real by playing, you know, fuck you Nazi punks or something like that. Nazi punks fuck off. Yeah. Um, but there's that moment where everything's just serene and it's playing like that calm music, you know, and you're just in a moment. And like, if that's what would have been life for him, you know, it would have been great. But then obviously after that, they finished the band, or not the band, they finished the set. They head back to the, the room to get their shit. They find that their stuff's already moved out of the room. And they're like, well, hey, we had to make room for the headliner, um, Cowcatcher. And they're like, all right, cool. Here's your money. And they get their shit. And like you said, they're about to leave, man. Everything's about to be fucking hunky-dory. And these, these dudes are going to be on their way back to Arlington or whatever. And Sam forgets her phone. Pat goes back to grab it and is like, oh, shit, there's a dead girl on the floor and everybody gets a screwdriver in her head. It was a knife. It was a knife. So yeah, they, they pull yeah. it out at one point cause they make, uh, they oh, make no. a comment. I know they pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, you know, they put them all in that room. And then at that point, you know, that's like when shit starts to pick up and you don't realize like how much time has gone by in this movie. Yeah. You know, they're just holding them in the room and it's like, what's going to fucking happen? What, what's going to happen? And, you know, we get Patrick Stewart's character coming in and you, you get that introduction to Patrick Stewart where you hear his voice, but you see the back of his head almost like a silhouette. And then you see him. And you talked about everybody doing a good job, man. But fucking Patrick Stewart is the leader of this fucking white supremacist group. Like despicable motherfucker, dude. And he plays this role. And, you know, and he's I don't know the way he plays it. It's great. His, his performance in the movie, and, and every, like you said, everybody, like all the, I mean, all the people in the bar or all the people that work for him, the red laces, I guess, and then, uh, fuck, I'm forgetting his name, but the one dude, like, you, these aren't, like, you just get that vibe from, these aren't people you'd want to be around. Like, it feels, like we talked about with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's one of those things where, like, you know, some horror movies are fun to watch because it's like, oh man, here's this monster being a pumpkin head. Like that shit's not going to happen. This shit could fucking happen. 
No, and and then it becomes like and the thing with Patrick Stewart's character because a lot has been made of Patrick Stewart playing this this villainous role. Like you know, when you read reviews or just anybody who's seen it. Here's the scary thing about Patrick Stewart when I was watching this. He seems like, on the surface, like a kind of nice guy. Like, if none of this would have happened, you could probably, you know, he's probably very um, uh, inviting to strangers, it, it feels like. But the scary thing about Patrick Stewart in this movie is that once shit hit the fan... He knew exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, don't shoot him. You know, okay, here's their van. And then he finds the 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 hoses. The siphoning kit. He's like, okay, the, the siphoning kit. And he's like, okay, we'll bring him over to this house. He's like, is there a no trespassing sign? He was like, no, it's beware of dogs. He said, even better. Like, and when one of the dudes is bleeding out, he's like, is he still breathing? He's like, a little. He's like, good. Let him bleed out. For time of death. That way they can't do the time of death. It's like, he's so cold and calculating. You know, just he knew every right decision to make to um, to get out of this situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to be controversial, but then they had the one kind of sympathetic character. You know, we are talking about fucking skinheads. How can you have that? And, but the guy at the very end, Gabe, who was played by Macon Blair, that's done a phenomenal trying, job. Yeah, that's who I was trying to think of. Like, he seemed like kind of the, hey, man, I'm just in this scene. You know, he didn't, he wasn't like the others, you know. He, to me, he didn't. He wasn't, but he was. He's done, He did something to earn his red laces. Um, now maybe he didn't kill people. You know, but, I mean, he's still, like you said, he's still a despicable character. But Well, Patrick Stewart told him, he's like, well, you're getting your red laces not because of this. Yeah. But that might have been just Patrick Stewart talking him up because he'd been running the. Or maybe he's just trying to. Maybe he knows that like there's a chance he could waver and it's like, hey, here you go. Yeah. Let's bring you into and the ball a little further. Even better, like even better, like because it does seem like he's the weaker of the group. Yeah. And Patrick Stewart probably did play on that, you know. Like that's a layer I didn't even think about, you know. Yeah, you know, another thing I learned after after watching the movie again and just doing a little research for the this episode, you know, and, and both of us like some heavy metal. We I think we'd like different kinds. We like different bands, but there's some heavy metal we like. There's some heavy metal I think we could both agree on that we're just like we're not fans of. Uh, for me, it usually is the type where they're doing a lot of growling. I don't necessarily care for that. Um, Same, but you know, there's people that like it. And that's cool. I just didn't realize that there was a fucking genre of metal that was for white supremacists. Did you know that? Well, it's it's punk, though, right? 
no, like the band Cowcatcher was supposed to be like a black metal band, but it's a national socialist black metal. I didn't know that. I didn't either. And so you can go to Wikipedia and there's uh, like an article about it. And they have like a list of the bands. Um, that's fucked up. That's had, crazy. Yeah. Had no idea. And look, I'm, you know, we're, we're adults here and everybody, and everybody listening to this is our adults. And so we know that there's people out there that do fucked up shit. And there's going to be those bands that have those fucked up views and stuff like that across all genres. I just didn't realize that there was a whole fucking genre dedicated to it. And like, how does that even, how does that happen? I guess, how does that exist without? And so to the director's credit though, like, you know, he was doing this movie. The movie itself is about like a, a white nationalist group, right? It's about these white supremacists. And so you're, you're telling this story that, has these people as the villains, but obviously you don't want to, you don't want like these national socialist black metal bands or these hate groups to profit from it. And they're not painted in a good light. I mean, so the movie itself, you know, while we're talking about this, just so you know, the movie doesn't paint these groups as these types of people as being, you know, good people or anything like that. They're assholes. They're horrible people. And, you know, a lot of them meet pretty gruesome ends, right? But you're making the movie, you want to try to make it as authentic as possible, but you don't want to support these bands and give them any kind of money or like um, press. So he ended up using another like uh, black metal band, this singer named Midnight, I think, or uh, I can't remember the songs. But when I say black metal, I'm not talking about like, you know, hate metal, like this uh, national socialist black metal. This is just regular, like, whatever black metal is. I don't listen to black metal. I think that's kind of in that growling stuff that I don't care for. But what else do you want to talk about? Well, I was going to give you a little pop quiz here. All right. Um, can you name the other movie Anton Yelkin and Imogen Poots were in? They played Love Interest. It's a remake. Uh, Pretty good. I, I I think it's a solid remake. Whatever that's worth, and you get. Oh yeah, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I know what you're talking about now. Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. I was just trying to think of like, because I really don't know like anything that Imogen Poots is in. I tell you what, I've I've seen her in quite a quite a bit, especially in the last year, and it's funny because I just watched. I didn't watch the whole thing. I had it on in the background. 28 weeks later. And that was like probably the first time she had sort of um, hit the mainstream. But I've seen her in a movie with Jesse Eisenberg. Two movies with Jesse Eisenberg. Um, one of them, I can't think of the name. It's a weird movie. And the other one, which we'll never cover on this podcast, but I'm going to give it a plug because I think it's an interesting movie. And people should see it. It's The Art of Self-Defense. And it's funny though because, um, and then she's in this. Uh, I I like Imogen Poots, and 
I like what she brings and she's been good in everything. I know we've already touched on this, um, this cast and the job they've done, but I just wanted to give her a shout out. And I want to also want to give Allie, Aaliyah Shawcat, um, you know, post arrested development, man, she's, she's not afraid to take chances and, you know, she seems, I don't know. I mean, look, being an actor, especially in Hollywood, you, you pretty much, you know, unless you're on the DiCaprio level, you pretty much just have to take jobs when they come your way. Um, but she seems to have, she seems to have made pretty good choices though. Cause she's always in pretty good shit. Um, but yeah, and here's a, you know, both me and you, you know, we were talking before we started this up, how like we didn't have a lot of notes on this. And, and I was telling you, um, there's a point in this movie to where, um, my pen was on my notebook and I didn't pick it up because I was just in this movie. I'm in it, you know? Um, and one of the beautiful things about this movie and this is a movie that you cannot say like a lot of movies do not have this um, characteristic what I'm about to say and I noticed it close to the end with this there are zero hero deaths in this movie oh yeah like you know, nobody's really trying to be a hero and it's just, you know, it's all just trying to find a way to escape. And no, it's not like they're leaving their fellow bandmates behind either. Everybody die. Like all the people that die in the movie, as far as like the band die, just, they just die. It's, yeah. They're, they're, like you said, they're not doing anything heroic or anything like that. It's just, they're trying to get away. Um, yeah, it's um, you're you're one hundred percent correct about that because a lot of movies you know they'll have that <laughs> that uh, and we'll use it, I guess the uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Four, the final chapter death, you know, where old dude's trying to fight Jason and he dies a hero and he's like he's killing me. Like, there's none of that. Like it's like you said, they're not trying to fight these people. They're not trying until the very end when it's almost out of necessity, because like, this is our only chance to fucking live. And, yeah. it, kinda, and it goes into that story that, uh, Anton was telling you about the paintball. Like these guys were wiping the floor with us. And then the only chance we had was when this one dude did this. And that's kind of like what happens here, but it's, yeah, it, nobody just becomes a badass. There's, you know, they have the one band member who knew, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Yeah. And th that was a nice twist. But, uh, and I get the, uh, that was, you say nice twist. And that, to me, that was almost like, did he know it? Or is he just like one of those guys that's like, I like MMA and I've seen this on TV. You know, you know how people will be like, Oh, I've watched this so I can be that person type thing. That's kind of how I took it. Maybe I'm wrong, you know, 
and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I just like, I like that version in my head where he's like, oh, he's an MMA fan and he practiced our bars on somebody. No, you're probably more right than me because he got pretty aggressive towards that Tad guy. Towards like, I think if you, if you practiced Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he would have discipline and yeah. not be such a aggro fuckhead. <laughs> You know? Yeah. But, yeah, do we do we want to talk about the two graphic scenes? There were well, two scenes. I, I do. I do want to talk about them, but I guess one thing I want to say before we get into that, because I feel like that's going to be building towards, like, the end, right? Because once you, we get into the violence, I feel like that's kind of what we've been saving at. One thing I really liked about the movie was its a uh, sparse use of music and score or soundtrack. Mm. Like there's a lot of silence. And, no, th- this it works, director won't. Sh- it, yeah. It works really well in creating that, uh, that sense of like, cl- well, claustrophobia when they're stuck in the room, because you're building tension the whole time. And, we're, you're not trying, like sometimes musical cues can give shit away, right? When you're watching a movie, like you come to expect shit to happen. And this whole time, for these, like, until we get to the point where, you know, we have the first, like, graphic scene, like, we're just building tension and we're building tension. And you're, you're just, you're like on the edge of your seat the whole time. And a large part of that's because of the way the sound's done. This director wants you to live in that silence, yeah, or without the music. Um, and you know, I didn't even notice there was no music, which I think is the beauty of it because it's I was so enwrapped with um, their situation and and what was going to come next. Um, what was I going to say? Um, never mind. Go ahead. Well, yeah. So I guess we're at that point now. You know, we've we've danced around it, and, and in talking about the movie, we've no. We, sorry, let me just ask you this. Okay, well then we'll just edit this out. So say what you're going to say, like nothing ever happened, and I can cut it to where it fits. Yeah. Now listen, I um, I am a self-identified idiot, so I think all three of maybe, us in this podcast are, or I've well, identified us that way in the description. I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll wear it like the red badge of courage here, <laughs> but maybe you can fill me in though. The note they found in the girl who died, the German word for meat grinder. Yeah. And then they found the set list and they were like, this was her. What? It was her, it was her cue. Her and to, Daniel, the, uh, one of the others. They were going to leave when that, when that yeah. song played, they okay. were breaking away. Yeah. And that was her cue. Yeah. To leave. And I, and I'm assuming that, um, worm, that was his name. Worm. Had found out, and that's why he had stabbed her in the head. Oh yeah, I knew he had found out. 
Like all that's made clear. I just, cause it never really dove into, and that's another beautiful thing about this movie is it, it's not going to waste time going back to that for idiots like me to be like, I'm going to tell you audience, she was going to leave with this guy when the song was played and like, it doesn't, it, it, the movie just, it, it plays real. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say when you was describing that is it's there, it's being presented like a real, like it could be a real situation. And you know, if you're, if you're living this in real time, you're not going to have a flashback to, yeah, you know Daniel and um, what's her name Emily, I think. Mm. You know, planning their getaway, like we found that out through bits and pieces. The note, mm-hmm. um, Patrick Stewart and him going through the car when they found the luggage. Once they kind of pieced it together themselves, the one the one guy was <clears> going to put Daniel in a, or didn't want Daniel working at a door. You know, they had all these little clues that filled you in on it. Um, so like with I said, all that being said, I don't know why she had to have a cocktail napkin with a word written on it. It's like, Hey, we're going to, they're going to play the one German name song. Like, right. <laughs> okay. Well, my thing would be is, are they announcing the names of all the songs before they play them? But sh- she would, they would know, right? I don't know how many people know the band Cowcatcher. Everybody in that bar, I well, guess, because prob- they were the local band, right? They were the house yeah. band. Yeah, you know what? You're probably right because I mean, there's nowhere else for this band to fucking play. I mean, it's not like they're going to be at you know CBGBs or you know something like that. They're not playing the Viper Room. But they were the house band, didn't they say that? Because Patrick Stewart's like find a new house band. Oh yeah, yeah, they probably. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. So, yeah, I guess uh, if you were a regular at this point, well, you know what? I'm being stupid because if you were, if, because Worm was a part of Cowcatcher and they did it during the Ain't Rights set and she was Worm's boyfriend, I'm assuming she would know the name of his songs. Mm hmm. So, Stupid me, sorry. I couldn't follow the trail of breadcrumbs that led to the obvious. <laughs> I'm telling you, this movie has layers. Yeah. For idiots like us. <laughs> right. But uh like like I was about to say, we we've been kind of dancing around it, but let's talk about the let's talk about the violence. Uh, you know, part of it, you know, the special effects, obviously we'll talk about that because that's a part of every movie. But let's just talk about the effectiveness of the violence also. And how it's presented in this movie. Oh, it is. It is unrelenting. It is. Very few movies um, have I watched here recently to where I put my my hands up to my face. From like, oh, God, I don't want to see this shit. <laughs> and it happened twice. And it happened within the span of 30 minutes. And one, you know. And, you know. If you've seen the movie, then you know, you know. Um, Let's talk like minute forty-three when uh, they're having the, the the conversation. The band is talking to Patrick Stewart, you know, and they finally decide to hand over the gun without the bullets. This is after they've subdued. Um, God, what was that character's name? Was it 
Justin? The big guy. I, you know, I should have wrote more names down. But he big was in, Justin. Big Justin, yeah. He he was holding him at gunpoint at one point. They subdued him. You know, we did the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, and there's that back and forth, you know, where Patrick Stewart's trying to present himself as like, hey, we're going to let you leave alive, blah, blah, blah. Then finally he's just like, look, here's the situation. This is what's going to happen. But Pat or Anton, you know, he's like, hey, we're going to trade you the gun. We're going to keep the bullets. And they're like, okay, that's fine. And when he you got Imogen Poots looking out the fucking door and she sees him step back at first and, you know, Patrick Stewart's like, hey, can I step forward? And he's like, no, no, no. And then she sees the other set of legs and she's like, no, get back inside. And you don't see it happen, but they grab his arm and they pull him to the door. He's just screaming and fucking crying and losing his shit. And then when they finally get him back in, you see why, man, his arm is just, and this is like the only time in the movie where they have any kind of shot where it lingers on the effects. It lingers. Yeah. And it's like the only time, because every other scene, when something happens, you see it, but there's like no gratuitous close-up shots of what happened. Or it's dark. Yeah. Or it's dark. But but even then, it still doesn't linger. Um, Even when uh, Daniel gets shot in the face with the shotgun. Like you see it happen quickly and that's it. You move on. Uh, but there, there is one scene I think where they show uh, um, Sam's character, like after the dog had killed her. But yeah. But yeah, with Anton's arm, you see it and it's all fucking cut up. And then at the wrist, you can just see where they've been hacking it and his hand is fucking yeah. dangling. And this yeah. is like, oh my God. And it was super it- effective. And it was. I'm like you. I like normally like with movies, you're just like, oh, it's special effects, you know, whatever. But that looked fucking hideous, man. And and the beauty of that scene is that you're watching it from inside the room. So you have no idea why he's yelling. Like you just think he's yelling because they grabbed his arm. Yeah. Like you don't hear it. You don't see it until he pulls his arm back and You know, it's sort of like this perfect symbolism of the movie, you know, to where it's building tension, building tension, and then bam, it hits you across the fucking face. And it's like, oh shit. And now you have even more reason to be scared. Like, oh, dude. Because now you yeah. know, like, that whole feeling of claustrophobia you had and that feeling of dread about what's on the other side of the door is justified. Yeah. And it's real. And if it gets through that door, yeah, you know, you're not leaving this place alive. Now you know that. Now you now the stakes have been set. And and, and it's when the movie begins. It's like, and as far and I'll say too with with the whole hand thing, like to Anton's credit, as far as an actor. Like there's, he doesn't use that hand. Like there's a scene no. where, like when he's when he um uh, he's when trying he's to keep his with the shotgun. Yeah, and the hand is just kind of fucking dangling there. Like, and I know other actors could do it. I'm not saying this is something, but you know, it's something good actors would do, right? It's no. easy to forget about that. You know, like okay, we got to do a struggle. We got to do a struggle. You're really fighting this off, and you kind of forget, like, oh yeah, I can't use my hand. 
You know, and that's that's a testament to um, this director because I think this was kind of like a passion project for him. Yeah. You know, he, he's a writer, director, to where I'm sure he laid out all these beats perfectly. I mean, he, you know. I know you said that, like, there's two scenes of violence that happen within, like, 30 minutes of each other that kind of made you cringe. And I can't remember how far apart it was. Um, but I, so maybe it's the same one you're talking about. But I'll tell you another one that was, like, you know, pretty intense to me. And maybe And it wasn't just the graphic graphicness of it, but also just the way that the character played it when it happened. But when she sliced Justin's Yo, stomach dude, dude. Ooh, and she shit. just did that fucking calm as could be and just was like, and then like to see the effect of it, we're like, oh, shit. It honestly, I don't know which made me like on the was verge that, of. Was that the other one? No, shit. Oh, yeah, that was it. Oh, okay. That was it. It was. I don't know. And that scene is, you know, if you've gotten this far in the podcast, obviously this is high praise for this movie because that scene just sort of, again, this building of tension because he's like the, the drummer has him in a chokehold. Yeah. And, you know, not wanting to kill him. He stops moving. You know, he's knocked out. He starts moving. Choke him again. You know, probably maybe looking to kill him this time. And he had had this box cutter in his pocket. And then Imogen Poots' character just picks it up. And she just, she goes from dick to tits, man. Mm-hmm. You know? And doesn't just, change her facial expression at all. Just, nope. But it's like she's the first to realize, like, here's the severity of the situation. Yeah, and if we want to get out of this, this is what's going to have to happen for us to live. Yep. I mean, and it's—I don't know. It. I mean, she goes through that belly like butter, and it is mm-hmm. just as gross as you can imagine. Um, oh, oh, God! Then you, you know, and then like the other scenes, like we talked about it, like people not dying hero deaths, these like once they finally decide like, Hey, we got to leave this room and we're going to have to, you know, fucking book it. Like two people just right off the fucking jump are gone. And it's back to the fucking room. Yep. Uh, yep. The, the drummer and the singer, both fucking, you know, one of them makes it out the fucking window only for somebody to be outside waiting and just stab them. You know, it just, and you know, just over and fucking over, dude, you know, and it's uncomfortable to watch. And then you have the dog that gets the other dude right in the throat, man. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I'm a broken record this episode. I'm not on my A game, but it's just this high tension to where it's like, not only do we have to worry about these fucking skinheads. Now they've got this Cujo motherfucker <laughs> that goes straight for the throat. Straight for the throat. Yeah, got, <laughs> not only do we have fucking skinheads, but we got the racist dogs, too. Yeah. Who answered God. to German command words? Hey, God <laughs> damn you. Really? And then, like, and these, these fucking, 
this group of people, man, they're dedicated to this cause to the point where they're fucking stabbing each other to present something to the cops so they'll leave. I was gonna I was just gonna mention that. Like how I don't know. I mean it's insane because once he called the cops, it's like, well, what's gonna happen here? You know, like and then he just finds these two protégés wanting to get their red laces and gives them money to do this shit. Yeah, and you know, at, at one point, you know, you might think that this is going to be one of those movies where they're going to call the cops and the cops are going to be corrupt because we've seen that in movies before. But this isn't that movie. Like, these cops, like, if they knew what was going on, yeah, like, they would shut this shit down. These people would go to jail. So it's not that kind of town. It's just that they're operating under everybody's noses. Like you have this hate group that people don't know about, or there might be like people might know, but they're not saying. Yeah. And there's, you know, obviously they're selling the drugs, but hell, the drugs are almost an afterthought. It's just, it's just the reason why they got to get rid of these people. Yeah. Um, Because they don't want the cops coming out there digging around and finding the heroin plant or whatever it is. You know, okay, now we're fucked. But this shit happens under the nose of this area they live in. Now, one thing I do like as far as the movie itself and where it it takes place in the Pacific Northwest and it's filmed. Oregon. Yeah, and it's filmed on location. It was filmed in like Portland and Astoria. I mean, Jesus, how good does Oregon look in this movie, though? Not the people, but yeah, I mean, no, yeah, bluffs. Well, yeah, once again, though, filmed on location. It's always nice when the movie takes, you know, when it says it takes place in this area, that you actually film in this area, yeah, instead of fucking Georgia all the time. Like, yeah. we get it, Georgia's giving you tax breaks, but don't tell me that Montana looks like fucking Georgia, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, the deserts of Nevada look just like Georgia. Whatever the fuck you try to pass it off as. Well, I think, what is it? Toronto is New York City. Uh, you talk about Friday the 13th Part 8? Yeah. No, I, I think in a lot of movies. Yeah. Like Vancouver or Toronto is New York City. Well, and trees, but trees are a giveaway. Like We've talked about it yeah. with other movies, you know, especially like, and I think the big one we talked about was well, one was, um, I think it was Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Because it had palm trees. Yeah. In fucking I mean, Illinois. It made Ohio looked beautiful. Yeah. And then, you know, the first Friday the 13th was filmed in New Jersey. And then you started going to these different states to where you know, one of them was filmed in Alabama. I think it was part seven. Well, fucking Alabama doesn't look like New Jersey. The trees are different. The No. Like you can tell, and then the remake was filmed in Texas. Yeah, and it looked like Texas. Yeah, exactly. The people looked like Texans. It's, uh, so it's always nice, like I said, when the that, that's one of the things I liked about the Goonies, right? It took place in this area, and it looked like that fucking area. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, a story. I mean, this. Yeah. I mean, just substitute the Goonies with the skinheads and it's, you know, tomato, tomato. Yeah. And the, 
Look, there's a um, a running motif in this movie. Uh, I, I think I used that word wrong. Um, it's an idiot podcast. Um, it's a desert island band. Um, the journalist had asked the band members, was there desert island band? And of course, you know, towards right before the characters meet their demise, they, they come clean, you know. It originally said misfits. Um, I think one of them was the damned, right? Yeah. Yeah. And these punk bands and they finally come clean towards the end. It's, you know, sort of tropey and it's Prince. Simon and Garfunkel. I think somebody said Prince and Madonna. Yeah. One of them said, yeah. One of them. uh, Well, I think the, didn't the girl, didn't Imogen, like, who'd say Madonna and Slayer? Yes. Even though she wasn't a part yes. of the original conversation. But, um, yeah, the one the one character, uh, Sam, had said Simon and Garfunkel. And then the other one said Prince. And then the other male, that not, not Anton's character, but the other male. I can't, I can't remember which one was which, who said which. But he was still like... No, it's still this punk band for me. Yeah, it's still the Misfits. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, so you kind of get that feeling that two of the four people were trying to present themselves as being hard. Yeah. And, you know, and having street cred instead of just being honest and being like, no, you know, I like Simon Garfunkel and I like Prince. And then the one guy, he was probably the one that kept saying that uh, Tad was true. I can't remember. But, you know, he was like, no, this is the life I live, and this is the music I listen to. And So I guess this leads to the question, what is your Desert Island band? Uh, you know, what if I had just one band I could listen to? Yeah, that's the rules of the game. I, I shouldn't be explaining this to I you. I mean, well, I didn't know if, you know if I could only listen to them or if they were going to be on the island with me and we were going to be, like, drinking beers. Well, that would Beers just... in fucking coconut shells. Yeah, but it's, it's Desert Island Band. You pick one. It would probably be... Tom Petty and Heartbreakers. Okay. It came. It comes. It comes down to two fucking bands because we've. Well, not everybody that listens to us know, but like we've talked about like our top three bands before, and so it would have been between GNR, Tom Petty, and Pearl Jam. GNR immediately gets eliminated because of the lack of. Albums. Content, yeah. So there's just not enough content. I can't, I can't listen to you play Coma, you know, thirty times in a row. I mean, that'd take up half your time on the desert, though. It would, but still. And then, you know, Axl Rose might punch me in the face if he's on the island with me. Yeah. Yeah, but if we, if, if it's if it's just a band to listen to, it'd probably be Tom Petty for me just because of the uh, the strength of the catalog and the amount of content they have. And then I'll say this too: if if 
like for some reason the rules were expanded and they could be on the island hanging out with you. He seems like he'd have been a cool person to hang out with. Who? Tom Petty. Oh, yeah. And then plus, man, he was fucking lucky in King of the Hill. I mean, that's true. I mean, horn chip straight off the line. I don't know if he's got any good King of the Hill stories, though. I, well, no, I'm just talking about the fact that he played that character. I just, I don't know. There's something about Tom Petty's voice. Like, I like listening to his uh, show on XM because they still play it. Buried Treasure. And just listening to it talk about stuff. He does have a soothing voice. I'll give you that. And you know, and he knows a lot of, I mean, as far, musically, I mean, like, he could just tell you about shit that you never even knew about. I mean, he is dead, too, though, so you would just be with a corpse. This is fantasy booking. Back in time. DeLorean to the desert island. What's yours? Okay. Um, You know, I thought about this, obviously, before I posed the question to you, because it's like, well, what's mine? And I wrestled back and forth, and um, I'm going to go the Stones. Hmm. I get a little bit of every genre of music. Um, and it's a big catalog. Yeah. yeah, but do you want to be on an island with somebody that's going to outlive you? I don't think you understand the rules of this game. It's not oh, no. the band with you. I know. I've expanded the rules. <laughs> oh, well, if that's the case, they're, then they're playing I don't li- know. <laughs> Shakira. They're playing live concerts with coconut amplifiers. Fucking, I don't know. Jennifer Lopez in. Then no, I, get, I got it. I got um Yeah, if you just had a band to listen to while you were on this island. They're all, yeah. That's a good pick. I had a healthy discussion last night at the bar about the Beatles versus the Stones. Obviously, I'm in the minority, but it is what it is. Let's, um, let's wrap this up. Let's, because... There's not a whole lot to dissect here. I do want to point out a couple of things. Um, and again, um, what um, Jeremy Solnier has done, just for the remainder of this episode, I'm just going to call him J-Dog. <laughs> um what J Dog has done with this, with this script, and, and, you know, he's created like very human characters. How Patrick Stewart dies, I, I couldn't think of a better way for a character to go out like that because he does what exactly someone would do. It's like I'm just gonna walk away. Let's see what happens. And then I'm going to turn and maybe I have the drop on them. Yeah. But him facing them with loaded weapons is a bad decision to make a draw. So it's just like, I'm just going to turn around and walk really fast. Whatever they do, they do. But then at least I'll have a drop in terms of I can turn around and start shooting. It was amazing. It just because that's something that. People would do in that situation. You're gonna, you know what? Flip the coin. You're probably gonna not leave that front yard alive. 
So why not just turn, walk to the house really quick. Maybe they pussy out and they can't shoot a man in the back. And if they don't, then I can turn around real quick and get the drop on them. Yeah. And how that all played out, it was just. Well, you said, you said there was no hero deaths. And I would say that there's no villain deaths either. No, no. Because, you know, usually, like, when you get to that final moment, there's this epic struggle, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's there's a point where, you know, like a Van Damme movie, like, where you're losing, but then you turn it around or whatever. Like, no, this is all fucking rapid fire. It happens. Like, the first person makes a move, they shoot him. The next person dies. They shoot Patrick Stewart, and he's fucking dead. And And, it's... the dude with the dog and we're skipping over a lot of great scenes. And even yeah. the guy with the shotgun blast to the face who sort of makes a face turn. Speaking of wrestling, you know? Yeah. Um, but the dude with the dog, like she's like, tie the dog up and he ties it up. And then he just makes one false move and she just fucking kills him. She just fucking shoots him. Imogen Poots is tired of this shit. And throughout the movie, you know, she just, she reaches a point. She's like, I'm tired of this fucking shit. And she's, she's blasting. She's yeah. Crying. And you, and you can tell, like, even then, like, um, Pat's still kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. Cause he's like, oh, we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, she knows the score, man, but she's been around these people and she knows what, what would happen. And oh, yeah. I guess he's still, you know, maybe in his, pure soul still thinking that there's a way out of this without people dying but dude mm-hmm. your hand is hanging on by a fucking sliver of skin you yeah. should already I know. mean like you're duct taped at this point together let me ask you this does he does he keep that arm there's no way right no or way. there's no way he keeps the hand he might be able to keep the forearm but like I don't know. Yeah, Maybe, from the elbow. Well, even yeah. if you, even if you keep the hand, it's not going to function like it did. It's too damaged. No. But, no, I don't think so. I think like his days as a musician are done. So I got a follow up question to the arm question since you asked it, which you know, good question. I think an equally good question is: Do these two escape jail time? Yes. Tom served probation. I mean, it's a bloodbath. And you you cross the point of self-defense. I you went after these people at the end. Yeah, I don't know. In in my mind, it would be it'd be hard to get a jury to turn on these two. You would have to be a shitty, shitty defense attorney (laughs) to where you, (laughs) you know, um, I couldn't see any more than like six months or probation. Time served. I don't know. Yeah, I don't it, know. It, it just it was something that popped in my head when I was watching it. You know, it's, it's, it's like yeah, it, yeah. 
normally you don't think about that when you're watching movies, but since this movie's presented in a very realistic manner, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of one of those things that kind of slip in. You know, do you end up going to jail? You know, are I think you have a chance to avoid it because you can show them the heroin. You're like, look, here's what fucking happened. And then hopefully the guy that you let go, you know, doesn't leave you hanging. He said call the cops when he when he met those people. Didn't he? That's yeah, what he, he said. He did. So I mean, there ain't much for him to go back to, so why not? Worm is still alive, though, right? Yeah. And okay, I got two things to say. Um, first thing is, look, I'm not dinging this movie for this because if I, if I, if I dinged, dung, past tense of dinged, if I dunged, okay, whatever, I'll keep it moving. <laughs> If I oh, please pontificate <laughs> on the past tense. <laughs> what it, if I if I ding this movie on this trope, then I I would have to fairly criticize literally almost every movie, and that's not fair. But for some, you know, with this movie being so steeped in in this realism that made me think about it and you're originally from texas you live in mississippi Mm -hmm. i was born and raised in mississippi but everyone knows how to operate a gun in this movie they know how to unload a magnum they know how to load a shotgun i don't know how to do that shit if you put a gun in front of me, you know, and you're like, hey, empty this six shooter out. I'd be like, bro, you need to tell me how to open the cylinder. I don't know how to do that. Like, <laughs> I've thought about like loading a shotgun and I'm like, does the shiny end go first or let? Like, I don't know how these band members from Arlington, you know, Virginia. They knew how to do that. Like Sam, uh, Aaliyah Shawcott's character, you know, she she was, you know, what ended up killing her was she didn't fucking shoot fast enough at the dog. Yeah, but she knew how to handle that shotgun. I don't know if I gave you a gun and I told you to load it. Could you load it? Um, I probably could, but it's because I sold firearms for. Are you loading guns in Walmart? <laughs> no, you're not loading guns, but you see how they operate. Like, and plus, I took Hunter's education when I was younger. I did too. I don't remember dick about that. It's it's not a hard concept. I still couldn't do it, especially in a moment of panic. I fucking couldn't do it. Well, no, I don't know. Like, just you, I, I don't know. Like, like a moment like that. But I mean, I could, I could load. It. I mean, and when I was younger, you know, I had a twenty-two, or my dad had got me a twenty-two that, like, when I'd come and visit, you know, we'd shoot at cans with. 
you know, so you, you learn there, like how to load some of them, but I get what you're saying. Like if you're not around it, how would you know how to do it? I don't, and I'm, I'm probably with you as far as like the revolver. I don't know that I can open that cylinder because, you know, there's gotta be something that keeps it from flopping open when you're using it. It's right? gotta be like a button or something. Yeah. yeah. So I probably couldn't like put my hands on one of those and do it, but like a handgun with a clip. Yes. Rifle or a shotgun, yes, but that revolver, no, I would be no. fucked. I'd be uh, looking, I mean, in, looking in the barrel, trying to look and see if there's you know bullets in there. Shoot myself in the head accidentally. I mean, maybe I could a nine millimeter because I've seen Die Hard five hundred times, so I've seen <laughs> John McClane load a gun. But so you're saying if there if there was like a machine gun around you, you could do it? Yeah, I've seen Predator four hundred times. And okay, so we're wrapping up. You have no, you have no problem. You have no problem with belt fed guns. Oh God, no! That that's easy peasy. Is Come it, on, now. like that. Let's roll. But um, what? Um, what's? What do you think is? What do you think is the strongest point of the movie? Like, what's your what's your favorite part of the movie? It would have. <laughs> As fucked up as it is, um, it's not the most rewatchable scene by any means, but it is when they're passing the gun and Anton Yelkin's uh, arm. Yeah. Gets, I, think I think that's, like I said earlier, I think that's sort of when the movie begins. I agree with you. That's, to me, that's the strongest point of the movie, too, because um, that's where, like, the building of the tension starts to pay off and then, it, and then it's like a prelude of stuff that's to come and it's like hey this is bad and it's about to get worse and it, like it, it's so good what do you think if you had to pick like the weakest point of the movie what would you pick I have a spot in mind myself but what's yours hmm Maybe right before they come across Patrick Stewart at the end when they're in the forest. That one felt a little too Hollywood cliche. In a in a movie that's not filled with cliches. Yeah. Um to where it's like, let's go get them. Yeah. You know. She's got a bullet wound in her leg and you've got one hand. Maybe now's not the time to Settle scores and pay right. your debts. Yeah. It's just like at this point, let the police do this. Yeah. Because you, you've already seen, like, the police aren't on these people's payroll. So it's not that kind of movie, like, where it's like a whole town full of corrupt pieces of shit. I would, um, I'd say for me, the point that I felt like was the weakest was right before, like, they get ready for those final confrontations. And, you know, he finishes his story about the paintball. And she's yeah. like, let's play pretend war and they mark up their faces and stuff. That one, I guess, kind of along the lines of what you were saying, felt a little Hollywood to me. Like, yeah, you know, you're, you're painting your faces. You, you shaved your head. You know, um, and also they set up the uh, microphone feedback from yeah. there. That, yeah, that part for me is probably the weakest part. What do you, um, what do you rate it? 
Okay. I'm going to say this before I rate it, that, you know, you, <sighs> it's so funny that my mind went to this, but, and I'm sure you're going to agree. This movie has, a, has, um, a similarity to Friday 13th part five. Because both guys that were responsible for the madness, they don't get their comeuppance. Oh, yeah. And you don't see that that often in a movie. Like, the dude who initially killed the girl, they leave. Mm -hmm. And they're given free drugs as they leave just to get them off the premises. And you don't see them again till like, the last shot of the movie. Let me ask you this. I just thought this literally just came into my head. The drugs they were given were marked. You think they were given laced shit that would keep him quiet? Because he did maybe. say find a new house band, remember? Yeah. So maybe the maybe they were murdered by Patrick Stewart. I mean like You you see the You see somebody with a needle in their yeah. arm, right? Yeah, because it's the heroin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see the person like passed out with a fucking needle in his arm and then like, Could be dead. Face? Yeah. And like that literally just come to me as what you were talking about. I'm like, maybe they didn't get to come up in since you would like that you expect, but maybe they did die. Cause maybe, like I said, they were considered a loose end and they were taken out. Yeah. Great point. Things. Great point. Yeah. yeah. Every now and then a thought enters his head besides profanity. You know. But, and it is still funny though, because the guy who did it didn't take the drugs. Yeah, he's just fucking sitting there. It looks like he's eating super cereal or some shit. Yeah, it's like the grossest looking cereal, if it is cereal, because it looks like egg yolk. So maybe it is soup. But no, if if I'm going to rate this movie, you know, um, a part of me wants to give it five. No shit. I love this movie. Yeah. Loved it. I'm going to go four and a half, though. For reasons unknown. And I think that half star can fluctuate. Like maybe I'm just being um I don't know why I'm hesitant to give it five stars. Because this movie um was so effective, efficient, and what J Dog set out to do, he did. And he did it seamlessly and you know you said this movie was 95 minutes you know it doesn't feel it even when you're just sort of with the band at the beginning yeah. it's like I could watch a movie of this yeah a little bit you know I'm gonna give it four and a half uh, fucking love it recommend it to everyone I yeah I, you know what I I think you're right. I, um, I think we're going to have the same rating here. I'd say four and a half also is a really good movie. You know, um, obviously I'd watched it before. And yeah. And I, I told you about it at one point, like you should watch it. And I'm sure it's just one of those. It wasn't like the. I don't think it was like the Ted Lasso thing. Cause I don't think I just hyped it up over and over. I think it's more of just a thing where, you know, it fell between the cracks. Right. Cause sometimes we don't get to watch movies when we want to. And then we just kind of forget about them and, 
it come back on sale on iTunes. It was like five dollars. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna pick this up, and then you know, we're like, hey, let's do an episode. And you had said, we'll pick the movie, and I'm. It's like, well, you know, let's do this or Green Room, and I had ran it by Daniel first, you know, to make sure we didn't cover something that he wanted to talk about. And he's like, well, I haven't. Um, I think he said I haven't seen Green Room to so do that one or something. I can't remember. But anyways, so it was like, hey, let's do Green Room. One of the good things about the podcast is is we do get a chance to watch those movies that maybe we haven't seen. If somebody says, let's do this movie. I know you got a couple that you want to do that I've never seen. And it gives us an opportunity. Um, but yeah, I, I, what I don't understand, I guess, is when people have these conversations about like the best horror movies in the last 10 years, you have like the same movies that, and rewatching this is kind of reminding me of it, but you have the same movies that always pop up. And I know you're a big fan of Hereditary. Um, not so much for me. Um, it follows, always pops up. And you have these certain movies that it's it's almost cliched how they're always the ones that are brought up. And then this movie's not mentioned. And well, this, th- that brings up a great point. Do you consider this a horror movie? Well, yeah. It, yeah, I do. I mean, so what's, I mean, what, why wouldn't it be horror? I guess would be my question is what makes horror horror? Is it supernatural? Is it monsters? Cause I know if I was in this situation, I'd be horrified. And when I watch this movie, I'm horrified. And no, I get what you're saying. And, um, for anyone who says it's horror, like I'm fucking, do you have much of a leg to stand on to say it's not horror? I use my baby mama as a parameter and she could watch this and she, she does not watch horror movies with me. I think this is more of a um, home invasion movie. It's more like straw dogs. It's more like funny games for me. I think funny games counts as horror. You know, Hey, if you, if you want to, you know, I personally, um, it may not be the horror, like, it's it's like music, right? Like we have an idea of what traditional rock is to the point where we ended up with an alt rock and then you ended up with like an alt rock to the alt rock. And now we're at a point where we have an alt rock to the alt rock because it doesn't fit into that traditional idea of what we thought it was. And maybe this isn't horror in the traditional sense, but I still think it's a horror movie. I think it's horrific. I wouldn't call it a horror movie, but that's for another discussion. But I'm not arguing like I'm not going to fucking pound the table on this. But I'd still say, I mean, why is it not brought up and as one of the, the best horror movies of the last decade? Yeah. And maybe it's because a lot of people haven't seen it. You know, it only did 3.8 at the box office. Um, I don't I don't know if it's readily available on a streaming service right now. That's how I originally saw it, you know, just for whatever reason, maybe it's, you know, it is, it's an uncomfortable movie to watch as far as the violence and everything that happens in it. But it's, it's also uncomfortable with the, the antagonist. I could see why you wouldn't want to watch a movie that has that uh, group of people in there. You know, although, I mean, they do die painful deaths but you you have to watch these people 
inflict pain on other people. So I get that. But I think as far as the quality of the movie itself, it's a fantastic movie. It's well put together. Um, like I said, it's a brisk 95 minutes. Um, it does, for me, what few movies do. Or, you know, like I said, you know, I've talked about it and I'll hit it again. Some horror movies are fun to watch. You know, some of them try to be scary and they fail miserably. Um, I think this movie is a scary movie. When, like, when you watch it, like you're terrified, right? And it builds the tension and it's excellent at what it does. Um, it's not, it's not the type of movie, despite me giving it four and a half stars, it's not the type of movie that I would just pop in all the time Mm-mm. because it's an uncomfortable movie to watch, but it's superbly made and it's, it's an excellent movie and it does what it sets out to do. It scares you and it creates a sense of dread. And I think a lot of movies fail on that you know, nowadays. So four and a half stars. Yeah, we're both same rating. Yep, and I'm, and it may be like, you know, maybe ten years from now, you know, it changes, and it jumps up to five. Yeah, it, it it's not going to go lower for me. Yeah. It's gonna. I think it's gonna be one of those movies where, like, if you revisit it, you can, be, you know, it's gonna stand the test time, and you be like, it's always gonna be a well made movie. No, it's it's never going to not be that. So. um, All right, Josh, any last words before we wrap up this episode about Green Room, which everyone should watch? Um, I don't know. It's like we talked about earlier. If you're listening to this, um, tell somebody about us. Um, And if you if you listen to this. And you come to me in person and say, hey, I told this person about this. Um, I'm trying to help you promote this podcast so you can become millionaire podcasters. I'll give you a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> Free of charge. Kiss on the cheek. If you told somebody about this podcast, a little pat on the butt and a kiss on the cheek. I think if, if, if you're a dude, if you're if you're a girl, I, 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 I can't get in trouble. I'll give you a peck on the cheek still, though. I can't touch your butt. Yeah, like you said, man, tell people. I think, you know, sometimes we might might be insightful. Mostly we're not. Never. Um, sometimes we might be funny. Hey, we're something to do while you fold clothes. Exactly. Okay? I was going to say, we're background noise, if nothing else. You know, we're just you know, a couple dudes, usually three of us. I like to talk about movies, right? Um, yeah. That was Green Room. Um, we both love it. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have gave it four and a half stars out of five. Watch it. Listen to us. Watch the movie again if you want to. And then listen to us again. Uh, thank yeah. you for li- if you're listening. Though, thank you for listening. Uh, Josh will give you a kiss on the cheek. Yeah, free of charge. If you, if you tell somebody. You got to tell somebody. Yeah. Direct them to the Instagram page. Direct them to the Facebook page. Direct them to the Twitter Direct them to the and, website. And you know what? We ne- we have never asked this on any of the podcasts, but if you do enjoy us or if you hate us, just give us five stars <laughs> on iTunes. 
fuck it. That's free to do. Hey, I tell you what. If you told somebody about the podcast or if you rated us on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcast or anywhere and you gave us good reviews, kiss on the cheek. Hey, you know what? Um, suggest a movie. Like, like, if there's something you want us to talk about, you know, suggest it. Maybe we do it. I don't know. We got a lot of shit to talk about, right? A lot of movies we can watch. Anyways, thank you for listening. That's it for this episode of Very Unreasonable Things. Goodbye. <laughs> I was waiting for you to end, and you said nothing. I did. I was. I was just seeing if we're here going with that.